Just James Horror Podcast. This is Just James, and I am here with Carson Winter. Carson, how are you doing today? Uh, hey, doing good. About to fucking eat some pizza. How are you doing, James? <laughs> Killing it! Killing it! What are we talking about today, Carson? Uh, I think today we're going to talk about my story in House from the Wreckage called The Children of the Event. It's a banger. I know you're going to love it and also have a new title coming out post-haste manner so i believe we're going to talk but first i want to talk about something that we've talked about on a previous podcast what do you got all right so welcome to the just james world review everyone i'm your host just james and this when we tricked you episode 38 all right so episode 38 carson thank you so much for coming back on the show you always kill Thank it every you. time. Love having you on there. By the way, our episode where we talked about uh, your boy Legati has almost 100 plays now. What? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So when I, my show's almost made a whole dollar, and so when I get that, I'm going to send it to you. And not no, <laughs> uh, not no digital shit either. I'm talking oh, in wow. one crispy dollar. Uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if you're comfortable giving your address. A P.O. box is fine. Man, I give it to like the sketchiest publishers known to man <laughs> every right. week. Yeah, that's right. Like I'm submitting stories, man. <laughs> it's, it's out there. Yeah. I'll send it to anyone who promises right. to give me a buck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nice crispy dollar for you. Uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Loving, love having you on here. And uh, today we're going to talk about, like we said already, the books. But first... On one of our previous discussions, we had talked about Joel Schumacher, or more specifically, your hate for Joel Schumacher. And so uh, I meant to ask you before we talk about the movie we're going to talk about today is Falling Down. It was a movie that came out in 1993. But have you seen any Schumacher films? I can't remember if you said you had seen some since your uh, rebel days as a youth shitting (laughs) on Schumacher. I've I've seen a handful of Schumacher flicks. Um, Okay. Fuck, like, what, Lost Boys, I think St. Elmo's Fire, um, the two Batman movies, his Phantom of the Opera musical, uh, Falling Down Now, and okay. I think there's even a couple more. I, I felt like, I actually, after I watched uh, this flick, because I was kind of having a moment where I was like, well, maybe I've been wrong the whole time. Maybe Schumacher's kind of dope, because I did really like this flick. Yeah. Well, but then I was going, I was going down the list, the filmography, and I was like, "Well, maybe he's not that dope. Maybe he's, yeah. just, maybe maybe he sometimes like hits it out of the park, but other times, you know, it's it, not not as good." It is truly all over the map with his films. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't know if it was just like different periods of drug use and alcohol, or marriage, or divorces, or kids, or what his life cycle has been like. Where I guess he's dead now. I think he died in twenty twenty, maybe. But did he uh, really? Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, just saw just saw that. Got it on my stick on sticky note number two. Let me, yeah, twenty twenty. Holy he, shit! Wow, peaced out. Yep. So he um, left us this filmography. This is his body of work. That's and right. And falling down might actually, I think, might be the highlight of it for me yeah. at least. Yeah. And uh, this this is dedicated to him. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, we'll if send- you're out there in heaven, yeah. we'll, we'll look listening to. Uh, Horror review podcast. That's right. For eternity. Yeah. We'll tag a family member in this. R.I.P. <laughs> oh, you <God>. know? <laughs> You're going to fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even hate those Batman movies really. I mean, because they were they were different. They weren't like any of the other Batmans. They were just real colorful. Oh, and well, we'll talk about this later. I loved anyway, them when I was six. Like they were. Yeah, six. exactly. Yeah, that's what that's I'm saying. That's why I yeah. saw them. <laughs> that time period when you could get the cool like toys from you know McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever when they had all the yeah. cool Batman toys. Shit was fucking awesome. But yeah, he uh, he did Flatliners, but I couldn't remember if that was the mm. remake of Flatliners or the, he did oh, the, I OG. the time period. So he did the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, how do you go from Batman to that or this movie to Batman? Because, you know, I just it don't is get kind it. of an odd pick. And it's it's hard to find like a single through line for his like entire filmography. Like he does a lot of different types of movies. And when I was watching, you know, falling down, it was so. It feels like such a bitter and cynical movie compared to how lighthearted like those Batman movies are and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like kind of hard to get like a handle on the guy. I'm not sure exactly if I know really who Joel Schumacher is as a person after yeah. watching these movies. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a very multifaceted beast though. And uh, that's kind of why he's lots of parts to show of himself. But I was watching this movie and I was like, this does not seem like the same type of movie, yeah. you know, this this dude would make compared to like you know the kind of campy like lost boys and flatliners which i could i can see same filmmaker definitely and then those batman movies which are like you know that's the one with the nipples right and the cod oh, piece oh you best believe it yes sir yeah <laughs> salivate every time i <laughs> that's see that right, costume yeah. <laughs> thirst trap <laughs> yes yeah, and the constant uh, puns and the neon, but yeah, it's like this movie's kind of just a little weird um, yeah. in that respect, and it was not at all what I was expecting. And I'll say one more thing about the Batman: best penguin ever. I mean, is there a better penguin? Even though that wasn't penguin. Joel Schumacher, that was Tim Burton's. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, I take it all back. But I agree that penguin <laughs> is sick. That is the best penguin. That dude is a monster, like a legit monster to look at. Yeah, in the sewer eating the fish, I was just like, yes. He's got the dirty, like, fucking coverall onesies. Yes, yes. (laughs) It It, means he's got to get naked to shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which, I mean, I do, and I don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't have to do that. I choose to do that. That's right. Yeah. I I was at, like, a fucking hardcore show last night, and, you know... I was I was taking a piss in the bathroom and there's like, you know, there's like two urinals, one stall. And I just I realized I was I was in the presence of a god because this is someone who (laughs) dared in the middle of a punk show to just take a shit just like in one of the venue bathrooms. And I was just like, oh, man, this dude is like living on an edge. I don't even want to know. I don't even understand. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't care about life anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, respect, man. You know, when when you got to go, you got to go. And this dude throwing it down during the headliner. I don't he doesn't give a shit. Was yeah, was there even a door on the stall? I I just imagine this place where it's like the wooden stall that they just kind of halfway built out of particle board you know there's no real lock on it it's just there you know there was a door thank god but there was no door to the actual bathroom (laughs) oh yeah like anybody who just walks by could like probably see his fucking like boots and stuff on the ground (laughs) yeah that is that yeah that's bravery that's a true bravery yeah that's that's hardcore uh (laughs) that's one of those things when you look at that and you're just like maybe i'm just not that hardcore anymore i don't know yeah i'm just not feeling it I'm too old for this shit, or maybe yeah. I'm not old enough. 
you know, maybe it takes like a true like fucking hardcore old timer scenester who's been doing this shit for years just to be right. like, you know what? He's already got hepatitis, a, you know. If I need to take a shit at the hardcore show, that's what I'm gonna do. No one's gonna <laughs> stop me. No cop yeah. is gonna stop me from taking the shit here. Let him yeah. try. Let him try it. Come and yeah. get me. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, all right. So yeah, I didn't realize. I think well, you've seen more Schumacher films than me. Oh really? Is, well, yeah, which is surprising. But this film specifically, the reason why we brought it up was because of the uh, Soft Targets episode. Um, yeah. So for those that don't know, you wrote a book. It's called Soft Targets, and a lot of the out things now. out now. It's out now, right now. Go get it. Get two copies, and what then you- listen to the episode. And uh, yes. Because we do go in depth about different themes in the book and stuff like that. But that's where this came up. And I was wondering if this was one of the influences or at least, you know, uh, something that you, you know, something you had thought about when writing this, uh, when writing your book. And you said, no, I'd never seen the film. And I was like, holy shit. And then you'd something you'd mentioned to me the other day about the I'm not going to say it's it doesn't parallel, but I think it has kind of the same feel. I don't know the best way to describe it, but how would you say? I mean, I think they kind of have uh, similar themes. They kind of approach them in different ways and that they both kind of involve um, white collar malaise and using violence to escape from that. Um, there's also kind of that uh, kind of an influence on uh, soft targets with kind of those um, angry white guy movies of the 90s, like Fight Club and Office Space where people are kind of feeling trapped by capitalism, work, um, expectations, and looking to free themselves from that. Also, The Matrix, actually. I think The Matrix follows falls into that also. Yeah. Um, and Falling Down is kind of interesting because it predates all of those movies a little bit, probably about like by five years, I'd say, five or six mm. years. It's early 90s. So it's not quite part of that same wave of films that all kind of came clumped together dealing with the same themes, but it does deal with those themes, but like from a totally different angle, I thought when I watched it and I found it really interesting in some ways, I think it's more like soft targets than some of the other movies that actually influenced it that I watched. I thought it was cool that it was along the same lines and you hadn't seen it. So I was just like, it's cool that those types of, you know, feelings and uh, themes and angst and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff can show up that, you know, that even though this was back in 93, the same kind of stuff is in the, the same kind of things are influencing people now. So, you know, yeah, that stuff absolutely. that was going on in 93, we still feel the the stresses and pressures from a lot of those things now, even though they just might look a little different or be named different things. It's still that kind of I don't know, would you, would you, middle class, lower middle class kind of still feeling trapped? Like you got just enough to not be just, you know, uh, dirt poor on that. What, what's the word that they use in the film? Economically valid. It, it, uh, or economically viable, I believe. Economically yeah. viable. Yeah. So there's a great scene in there uh, where, so, where there's a guy that's pretty much in the same place that he is mentally, I think, but he's just not. He's he so I guess we gotta tell people what the movie's about. So falling down is about a uh I don't know what would you say Mi- uh, middle aged white guy yeah middle aged white guy uh white collar worker who we find out works as a defense contractor who um and not like the long beard cool like what people think of with that's tatted up defense contractor not like 
over <laughs> in Afghanistan doing contract kills or something. Because no, a lot of times people a hear pencil that pusher probably someone right, who designs yeah. like a rocket or something. And basically, what happens is that he has a pretty rough day, um, kind of of his own making. Yeah, he, he for sure. At, at his, he he seems to be at his uh wits end with kind of his place in life, and then uh kind of goes on this uh rampage across LA that kind of becomes more violent as it goes on. And this film also, if if you go out and watch it, and and I I would, I mean, it's a great film. And even though it's a horror podcast, I, this could be along the lines of horror. This dude's losing his mind. He's committing violence against the public. You know, he's, you know, running around with a gun, shooting at stores. I mean, he kills some people. And so, <laughs> I I mean, you know, is it horror in the sense that it's it's not a slasher or anything like that? But just kind of that. I mean, uh, you could. It's corporate. a thriller. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. I I think it's yeah, I, I did think at a certain point in the movie, he basically felt like a slasher to me. Um, Like he was <laughs> when he dons people, the yeah. making like weird phone calls to his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> He's like breathing in the phone. And yeah, who's that crazy. at the house? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and what what I was kind of getting at earlier with like how this movie is different than those other ones is like I feel like in Office Space, Fight Club, The Matrix, kind of that Holy Trinity, the the movie kind of puts you, it pairs you with the um, protagonist, and you share their perspective, and you are both kind of like fuck the man mm-hmm. this this sucks and it's kind of a, it's almost they're almost a little revolutionary yeah um sure. and you you empathize a lot with the main character and i thought falling down was going to be the same thing yeah. but then i watched it and i was like i don't think we're supposed to be on this dude's side <laughs> this yeah. dude seems fucking nuts from like the first scene where he's basically sitting in traffic gets fed up with traffic and then just walks over to a convenience store and commits a hate crime. Just like, just <laughs> like fuck at that. Like, yeah. no problem. And I was like, wait, that's where we start. Like, yeah. That's not where we escalate to. That's just his first fucking thing he does. Yeah. It's like, I hate traffic. I'm going to beat the shit out of this Korean guy. I'm yeah. going to like fuck up his property. And, and it's and it's even, it's funny because you can't even make the argument that it's like, Oh, it's not racialized. It was just like there. It's like no, he's like yelling. It's like, why don't you speak English? Yeah, stuff. yeah. He he uses the classic line of like, "You've been in my country for how long, and you can't even learn fucking English?" And he's like, "Did they not? What does he say? Did they not have V's in Japan or something?" Because the the guy's which the guy corrects him and says, "I'm Korean asshole," but yeah. he had he's he has a strong accent, a strong Korean accent. So there's certain letters that they just don't pronounce as well because their language or whatever is different, and so that accent comes through, and that's what he's you know, commenting on in the film is he's, they don't have the letter V they don't have V's in, in Japan or whatever. He's like, I'm Korean asshole. But like you said, yeah, you think, and even, I think if you watch, and even if you read uh, all the stuff for this film before watching it, it does sound like it's about to be one of those against the man, fuck the rat race, you know, the middle-class rising up kind of thing. And then instantly this dude's saying that kind of shit and then trashes a store. He's like, how much are these donuts? <laughs> the guys, the guys, like two ninety seven, and he just fucking smashes them. It's kind of goofy. And, He's got this stupid the, bat. Like the funniest thing about that scene to me is like he is he is just fucking boiling hot, rageful over this. The fact that this dude's selling a can of Coca Cola for eighty five cents, and I was <laughs> like, okay, you know, 
I was, you know, I was three years old in '93. Maybe I just don't understand. So I, I did, right. I did, I did a little bit of math. I figured out like the uh, the exchange the with uh, what, like whatever inflation or whatever. Yeah, the inflation. Yeah, yeah. So the inflation, eighty-five cents, would be about the buying power of a dollar ninety-seven. So that's a two-dollar can of Coke. He is yeah. fucking freaking the fuck out about right. <laughs> And and the so uh, in the film, the whole reason he goes in there is because he needs change for a dollar to use a payphone, which is kind of mm-hmm. awesome because there's no cell phone, so he's using payphones. And uh, he's got a dollar. He wants some quarters. He goes in there, and of course, the guy's like, "Hey, no change. You got to buy something." That's fair. Dude owns a store, but yeah, why not just buy something that's not eighty five fucking cents? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Why not just reach under the counter and get a pack of gum or a, 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 a stick of gum or something, whatever the fuck you know, just something. <laughs> where he can make the change, but no, he's like, and that's where, like, there's so many points in this film where you, like, you it's the you're almost on his element from the yeah. character where he's like, yeah. he's always like, no, I, I just have to have it my way. You know, he's, he's entitled to everything in such a strange way. And that's why I kind of thought this movie was different. Cause to me, I felt like it was more, it wasn't so much about um like a revolution, but it was more of a critique of like, kind of middle class entitlement in a world that was changing um yeah. that was becoming you know more um diverse it's post cold war just the same rules don't apply and it was kind of critiquing people of this age at the time who were kind of like stuck in the past in a way and kind of bawling their fists but feeling a little directionless yeah and and <laughs> Well, that, that's another part, too. So, I mean, it talks, it shows like, so we were joking about this earlier. Each scene almost quite literally just jumps to a different racial interaction that he's doing now. And he's going deeper, deeper into the city. And so, you know, this is with someone that's Korean. He then gets into a fight with uh, a, a couple of Mexican gang members or something where he's trying to chill out and uh, ends up beating them up. And it's funny because he just nerds out so hard. Like he's in a t- this whole time. You know, he looks like the uh, the cover of the Descendants album. Like he's just got like a flat yeah. top and a fucking tie. And a flat know, top was an inspired choice for his character. Oh, I yeah. thought <laughs> I, I loved the flat top. It's like you learn so much about that guy immediately. Yeah, who's played by Michael Douglas? If we didn't say yes. already, yeah. So Michael Douglas kills it. He's a great. And you know, uh, well, this was years and years ago. I didn't realize how kick-ass Michael Douglas is. Like, if you go back through some old Michael Douglas films, dude, he fucking kills in these movies. He's awesome. He was he was eating it up in, range. like, the early 90s and shit with, like, all these kind of thrillers and stuff. I, I always had something against him because I thought he had a really large head, and that really oh. bothered me. I just look at him. <laughs> I always joke with, like, my wife. Why, he's got old man head. <laughs> he's got that just <laughs> like, that typical, like, box fucking yeah. Lego old man head. Yeah. I was always talking about, like, I'm afraid his neck's going to snap holding up that noggin. And... <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were going to say you didn't like him because of the... He was the one that was married to uh, that Catherine Zeta-Jones, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah, probably. He... That sounds right. Well, I should probably look this up before I talk about it. Because if I talk about it and I'm wrong, then I'm just blowing smoke out of my ass. But whoever was married to Catherine Zeta-Jones ended up getting throat cancer. Wasn't that him? That could be him. That sounds right. He blamed her for it. Really? Because she had HPV and he was, <laughs> and you Damn, know, dude. just did what people did. And it's funny because on the internet, everyone was <laughs> blasting at him. They're like, uh, you're welcome. You know, like you should be thankful that that's how you got throat cancer was from 
you know, Jesus. having relations with your, can we, I don't know what we can say. I don't guess the internet cares from going down on Catherine Zeta Jones. I don't know. I just thought, <laughs> thought that's where does, that was going. Does Michael Douglas eat pussy? That's what I need to know. Yeah. And now we know. Damn, it almost, <laughs> dare, he does it so much. It almost killed him. <laughs> Legend. Res- respect. Yeah. That's, that's why he's got that giant head. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you are right. It does. It does almost just seem like a, like a the movie is like a museum walk through different exhibitions of like racism where he just goes from one race to another just cooking shit up escalating situations that don't need to be escalated there's almost a right. point though where you think he's gonna be like cool like chill with the the gang men- members but then he still twists it because he's like you know what i understand this is this is your neighborhood right you- I wouldn't want you guys in my neighborhood. You wouldn't yeah, want me in yours. Yeah. And I was like, or what oh, he dude. says, I think he even says like you people, like I wouldn't want you people in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh he shit. Almost, he almost got there, man. And he still had to like turn it racist. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. You just, you just didn't have to say that part. Yeah. You could have just been like, all right, guys, I'll move along. <laughs> and so, so the film for me, I think it goes back and forth where, you you think you're gonna identify like you said the character will do something where you're like oh, okay maybe he is a guy that's just been pushed too far too much stress he doesn't have enough things in his life to like relieve this stress or or deal with mental health or whatever it is and he's just had enough because the couple of classic scenes the one that most people might know if they don't remember the film but maybe saw bits and pieces of it over the years is he goes into you know like a McDonald's or something like it's not a McDonald's called something else like Weasel yeah, Burger fast food something. restaurant yeah type thing yeah goes into one of those orders food and they quit serving breakfast like 10 minutes or something like that. Not, you know, just long enough to where, and he's just like, well, I've had a really rough day. I just want, and that's again, where you're like, dude, what do you want him to fucking do? You know, it's like such a Karen, but he's like, yeah. he, he's like a scary Karen with a gun and stuff. When, yeah. And like, who is pushed to violence over like the, the basic minutia. We all just, we just all manage somehow not to like kill people over every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I always remember like that shit, like when I worked, you know, in fast food or in like retail jobs and stuff. There's always just some, you know, douche who feels so entitled and just wants to scream at you. And I was just watching this dude like argue with these people and then eventually like pull out a fucking Uzi and start yeah. shooting at the ceiling. I was like, come on, man. Yeah. And then come they on. give him. They give him what he wants, and then it's still not good enough. He's like, look at this burger. Now look at that picture up there. Is that what this looks like? He's like, no. I'm like, bro, it's advertising. Like, just don't. Do you really have to shoot into the ceiling and, like, scare the children? Like, there's kids. The old man's trying to walk out, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. Have a seat. Everything's fine. It's okay. I'm just trying to get my food. I was like, at that point, I was like, what is this dude even really railing against? Like, he's just. Yeah. He's just mad at random shit at this point, and it's like any normal person would just be like, yeah, man, I'll just have a burger. That's fine. Whatever. It's lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah. I missed out. Look at your watch. Yeah. Fuck. I missed. Yeah. You're right. All right. I'll just take this. Yeah. And move on. Yeah. You move on with your day. Not this dude. Not this dude. (laughs) Not fucking having it my way or Mm -hmm. no way. Yeah. He, uh, I, I think, I don't know. Like you said, I don't really know where this, like what this movie wanted the person viewing it to feel. I don't know. And maybe it did, maybe it was just telling a story of this guy. Maybe it didn't want you to feel one way or there. Did it want you to be confused about whether this dude is like an anti-hero or do you identify with this guy as a hero because you're kind of fucked up? And the scene that confuses me the most is he goes in 
because halfway through the film you're like oh, okay this dude's just some like racist guy who's whacked mm-hmm. out he was in the you know he was in the military he got fucked up he came out he's done defense work building missiles and knows that those missiles have killed a lot of people and he's got a bad you know he divorced his wife and all. oh well i'll say the main thing for me as soon as i found out that he was like a drunkard that beat his wife and kids and shit i was like whoa so this guy's a piece of shit <laughs> so okay yeah. i get it now like he's not i don't feel all this stuff now is out the window. He's just a piece of shit that's freaking out. And that's kind of like the other thread through this movie where they kind of humanize him throughout it by being like, he just wants to, his whole kind of motivation is he's, he's just trying to get back to home. see his daughter on yeah. her birthday. He's trying to go home, but <laughs> there's the other element of that. As we start learning more details throughout the film is that his ex-wife has a restraining order against him. <laughs> right. He's yeah. trying really hard to yeah. break. You're like, whoops. Uh, <laughs> and then he he keeps making these fucking creepy ass phone calls <laughs> to her yes. across town, like spying on her. Like, this is not like just a dude who wants to see his daughter. And, and she's then, scared of him too. Yeah. I mean, you can tell through the film, like she's genuinely scared every time he calls before she knew he was shooting the town up. Yeah, and then you see like some of it, one one of the really clever things I thought they did was when they show like the home videos and stuff of them, and it's like they kind of start out sweet and stuff, like he's having just these me- memories and shit, and then they end with him just like screaming at the daughter, like <laughs> yes. get on the fucking horse, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just put her on the goddamn horse. <laughs> yeah, it's like, which I thought was really cool because to me. I, I thought the movie was cool because to me, he wasn't an anti-hero at all. This dude was just a pure villain. Like we were basically sure. following Michael Myers. Yeah. For a fucking day in the life. But it's kind of cool that the movie plays with that because it plays with the expectation that the person you're following in a narrative is, has some kind of redeeming feature that that's mm-hmm. the person you want to identify that you, that you want to follow and see their arc. But I think the movie's clever because it, shows you the arc of the movie is really the audience realization that the person you're following isn't necessarily a hero at all he could be the villain and kind of showing you the larger picture and you know at the beginning you might have some moments of identification with like Mm -hmm. you know hey i i hate traffic i hate I hate it when McDonald's stops. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get mad. I get, yeah, I have those kind of thoughts. I've just, this guy's just got the balls to do it. That's the scary part is, and you know, you hear people say it all the time, like, you know, they've just got the balls to fight back or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like what you said there about the audience. Cause I do think it's, and maybe that was the whole joke for the, or maybe not joke, but his, his intention was to have you at, by the end of it, you're like, shit, what was I? complacent with in this and agreeable to this knowing now at the end all the shit i know about this guy but i was all in for certain things then against other things like does he want you you know to kind of see like hey this is how easy it is to identify with some of these things and become an extremist so there's a scene where he's hidden out pretty much by a guy that's a not a skinhead and he goes in there and the skinhead thinks yeah this dude's white and he's going to all these different places that the skinhead knows to be, you know, mostly uh, filled with people that aren't white, you know, so just different races and ethnicities and stuff like that. And he comments on that, like, yeah, you shot that place up, but we all know what's in there. And, you know, he's f- fucking blowing out the, the, he, the he's throwing all the slurs out. All the slurs are out there. Yeah. The, he's like, yeah, yeah, we got to get them and that kind of stuff. And he's like, hey, man, 
I'm not like you. And then the Nazi guy gets mad. I think he tries to fuck him. I don't, he puts, he does handcuffs on him. He's like, I'm going to be behind you the whole time. And I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't sure on that either, but I did think it was interesting that like, it, it was kind of struck me funny that like, Michael Douglas just tries to leave and gives him the whole like, well, this is America. We just have differences of opinion. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. And I'm like, with the with the Nazi, really? <laughs> He's just gonna leave <laughs> yeah. and be like, yeah, yeah we're, we just have differences of opinion. It was like, yeah. Wait, wh- where was this? Where, where, where? When were you so chill with them not serving breakfast? Like, right, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are like two different levels here. One of these guys is like an actual Nazi, and these other people are like being threatened violence oh. because it's eleven thirty-one. They won't give you like a McMuffin, bro. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, and or or even you know, it, so this guy's super racist. He doesn't like people for whatever you know for whatever his fucking reasons are. But yet, you were carrying that same attitude with the very first scene, you know, with that Korean mm-hmm. guy, you know, you were saying the same stuff that this guy would have been saying to this Korean guy. And, uh, and so that's why I think it's funny. That's why I think the audience, I, I don't know if he wants the audience to see that to where you're like, Oh, well, what he was doing in the story, he wasn't really mad that the guy was Korean. He was mad that he was overcharging him and felt like he was taking advantage of people by, you know, boosting his prices to make a profit. And that's what he didn't agree with. It wasn't so much that he was Korean, even though he said some things. And then I think when he sees someone mirroring that behavior to the extreme, it kind of hits him like, well, I'm not like you. And then, of course, at the end, that plays out where he's like, you know, I mean, we can give it away. But one of the last lines in the film, well, we'll, we'll, we'll let's walk there and then we'll talk well, yeah. about it and bring and it back. The to cool that. thing, I, I think when I because the more I thought about that whole Nazi sequence and stuff, I do think it's kind of there to point out the hypocrisy of the character and yeah. shit to give him kind of a foil who's really not that unlike him. But to him, he's like, oh, no, we're just we're totally different. It's just we do the exact same things. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, um, but there's also this whole other plot line that's kind of happening with um, kind of uh, a parallel, a cop character played by Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Who has I feel like he's kind of doing he's kind of in a situation that mirrors Michael Douglas, but it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a funhouse mirror. It's kind of interesting is that he is also kind of a he's a white middle class guy. He's retiring as a police officer. He's about to move somewhere. He's not that excited about with his wife, who's very overbearing, um, constantly calling him at work, you know, classic like, you know, got him by the balls. He's also yeah. feeling kind of trapped in this middle class lifestyle this working world not really able to take what he wants in life um and on his last day he kind of starts piecing together um through kind of different calls that are happening throughout the day that the same dude is doing all this havoc but it's all michael douglas yeah and and he has a cool arc too i think yeah i felt like because i was trying to figure out why because they take a lot of time in the this film's nearly two hours long And they take a lot of time to really play out both of those characters. So, so they really have a well-defined, you know, beginning the arc and then the end. And with his character, I kept trying to figure out what the fuck are they trying to say with this cop guy? Like, I knew they were trying to make some parallels, but I was just trying to figure out what they were doing because, and and I think it's what you said there. I want to say maybe his whole thing was he was a cop for however long his career was. And seemingly because of conversations he had, I guess maybe he got shot. Or something like maybe he had been shot uh, in the line of duty because his 
chief or whoever his commanding officer is comes in and at some point just basically tells him like you've never been a cop you know mm-hmm. you're not going to get shot behind a desk uh, i'm going to go ahead and tell you something that you know uh i've never said to you before like you're a pussy like you're not a real cop and yeah. uh, why don't you just go home and at the same time like you said he's piecing together all the pieces of this crime because the korean guy came to the station to talk to him because he's over burglaries and mm-hmm. they kind of blow the dude off they're like well he didn't burglarize you he paid for his stuff he just stole your bat which isn't the same thing which uh just knowing the law it is because so <laughs> so <laughs> i mean so b- b- burglary is the same as theft the only difference is it's theft while also committing like uh some other felony like a you know some kind of heinous assault or taking a certain amount of stuff that reaches like a felony mark so like property damage yeah yeah like property damage (laughs) maybe hitting someone with a fucking bat or you know stomping their chest you know uh that could that could that could very well uh count but for the for the detective guy i felt like because in the beginning, you think he's just some well-seasoned detective. They don't give you any reason to believe that he's just some soft, you know, mm-hmm. uh, officer or detective or whatever until his chief guy says that to him. So I wondered if for him, I just thought about it when you were saying that, is maybe that's his arc is he's done this career his whole life or whatever. And so he's probably had these same dreams and was told these same things like, you're going to be a hero. You're going to help people. You're going to save someone's life and all that. And all I did was get shot and put behind a desk. And this is kind of his last opportunity to, you know, be the hero. He's going to, he's going to save the town from this guy and be the hero that he's never had the balls to be. And then Michael Douglas's character is now his idealization of what is he's being the hero that he's never had the Mm. balls to be kind of thing. So, you know, that's uh that's as deep as I could get with that where it was. No, you know what I mean? A, like <laughs> that's a really cool thought. I like that, that they're both kind of the becoming the heroes in their own story, but their own stories kind of differ. The other thing I was gonna think is like they're both kind of dealing with the same uh a similar, they're both upset about the workplace, their modern world, their life at that moment. But the way they deal with it is very different, where I feel like the arc of uh, Michael Douglas is he is dealing with it externally by using violence and stuff against other people. Whereas um, Robert Duvall's character, I think at the end, comes to an internal realization is that which is that being a cop is who he is and that's what he wants to continue to be. That's and that this is his identity to a degree. Um, to the point that it becomes maybe more important than, you know, the relationship he has with his wife. Yeah. And earlier when you said something about his wife being overbearing, I I didn't think about it until you said that. And then thinking of the line right before the end of the film where he's like, he's like, oh, yeah. And Meredith, leave the skin on the chicken or whatever her fucking name was. But he tells her yeah. to leave the skin on the chicken like he's like that's him standing up to, you know, that's him growing yeah. hair and just being like, yeah, I'll be home in a minute. Have dinner ready and leave the skin on the damn chicken. You know, dry steps, shit. Man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all he needs. Yeah. He's not in his bad place as Michael Douglas. He just needs the skin on the damn chicken. Yeah. Yeah. But uh but yeah, it's um so the end of the film kind of the, the what it well, comes to it. It gets scarier because he like he does close in on his ex's house. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where he's making the spooky calls and he like basically fucking runs into the house ready to do god knows what 
And I think one of my favorite parts is that like uh, his wife, his ex-wife is like pretty smart. Like as soon as he goes mm-hmm. in the front door, they're like fucking out the back and all the way. Yeah, they're came, running swooped down the around the side like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and also what that made me think is that this is that's her normal. Like she knows when shit like this mm-hmm. happens, how to get away. So that further, you know, identify that character to me as, you know, someone that's abusive, you know, along with the restraining order and stuff like that. It wasn't just like a you know, a knee jerk reaction to one event. This is something that she's been dealing with for a while so much yeah. so that she has plans in place to when shit happens that she knows like, Oh, I'm just, you know, we're going to go around the back and split and, you know, places to go. But also even to her, it's really, I think it's all the services that we use on a day-to-day basis. And it was just showing like the worst case asshole scenario for all those. So even the police officers that are supposed to come by and check on her. Now they know it is her ex-husband and that he's violent and that he's been making phone calls to her and they're like, yeah, we'll send an officer to your house, whatever. And then like two or they, three they times, didn't, they, he didn't kill her fast enough. So they're just like, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll just bounce. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, I think the last uh, cop she talks to is a, is a female officer. And she's like, well, vote in your next election to have less cops on the street and we'll have more people to sit at your house, ma'am, or something like that. You know, and it's just like at every Great. step. Yeah. At every step <laughs> of the way, everyone's being a dick. But it's not that they're doing anything. Uh, it, it's just an attitude. Like they're not doing anything wrong. It's just like an attitude that they're having. You know, she, everyone's she, a little bit of a dick. Yeah, and and she had to leave. I mean, it was her job. And they they were done serving breakfast. And the guy, the coke was just eighty five cents. Like all these were normal things, but it was just someone being an asshole about it. And it really made me think <laughs> of how this movie is. I think what Joker, the newest Joker, uh, with. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix in it was like trying to be oh interesting less yeah. serious because you know that was his whole thing through the whole movie was like hey I'm just trying to do my thing and I'm trying to make it and you know he wasn't a bad guy and he wasn't an asshole no one and then the, you know of course the big scene where he's just like you know you get what you fucking deserve and like I feel mm-hmm. like that was this whole movie and uh, I just really don't like that film so anytime I get a chance to say that it's bullshit and came from somewhere else. <laughs> this is I gotta it. say I'm not a big fan of Joker either and I think it's just kind of a dumb movie <laughs> yeah it's just it's it, not it's, that good it's not that good I do think it portrays and I've said this on other shows about um you know when people have uh, mental health issues I think it's a great movie for that but then mm-hmm. just to slap Joker on it and put him in a suit and have him fucking do his little snappy dance down <laughs> the stairs and you know call me Joker you know and like it's just so stupid like it i i don't know it just just to put it in canon of the batman verse you know batman universe i just didn't like it as that as its own movie you know and and great performances i'm not and that's what people get mad oh he was a great joker yeah. Sure, oh, yeah. sure Joaquin's he was. really talented of, one of the yes. most talented actors like yes. in the world of course he's going to turn in a great performance yeah problem is todd phillips is not a good director <laughs> this is the hangover dude like he he's got oh, yeah the, He's got the fucking subtlety of a sledgehammer. Like these are, yeah. these are big ideas. He is just like stuffing down your throat with a mop handle. Yeah, and it is. It is brutal and grueling to watch for me because it's just like, it's like every like edgy fifteen year olds like basic yep. class consciousness or something plus yeah. this kind of like power fantasy of being the Joker or whatever. For me, it, it it was okay to watch the first time. I would never watch it again, and I'd probably never recommend it really to anyone. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely not a film that you would watch more than once, I think, anyway, just because it's there's no entertainment value. It's more of an uh, an experience, I think. You know, it's one of those where you're just kind sure. of, yeah, <laughs> you're experiencing this uh, this mental uh, breakdown you know what? in the performance. But here's here's what I actually think the movie is, and I don't think a lot of people pick up on it because we throw this word around a lot for movies, but I don't think it's ever used really correctly. But Joker is a pretentious movie. It's actually a pretentious movie in that it pretends to be a lot smarter than it is. Mm-hmm. It's and, absolutely. And I would 100% agree with that. And I would use that word if I fully knew what it meant. But like when I talk to you and other authors, <laughs> I get really nervous about certain words that I use because I don't un- like I've been corrected. I think once when I was on your guy's show, I was corrected by both of you on a word and I was like, I will never speak again. That is fine. I will dictionary all my fucking words. <laughs> That's fine. Because you both corrected me. And I was like, even if you were both wrong, I still would have been like, yeah, you're right. That's right. I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> I'll go read a book, read the dictionary. Well, if you do, do it on OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> With feet forward, just in case. Feet forward. Bring out those feet, man. Come on, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, let's see. We talked about the Nazi scene. But he ends up getting this. We're at like the boardwalk, I think now. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his sack full of guns that he got off some gangsters that were trying to, there's a failed drive by and they end up wrecking the car and he goes by, gets the guns, talks some shit, shoots one of them in the leg and, and walks off. So petty too. Yeah. Just, just, oh, and you know, all his stuff, like you said, was sort of subtle and the more, the deeper and deeper he falls into this spiral and he even calls his wife talking about how I'm at the point of uh, um, past the point of no return or something like that. And he's like, you know, it's like astronauts on the dark side of the moon. And, you know, this, uh, everyone's just waiting for this can to come around the other side to see if there's dead astronauts inside. And he's like, that's me. And so I was like, oh, OK, that's kind of is, is he being deep mm-hmm. or is he just kind of saying like, I'm fucking like this I'm it's a suicide mission. Yeah, it's a suicide <laughs> mission at this point. You know, he's like, just let her know. And uh just let her know. By the way, I am going to kill you. Yeah, that's right. I've got <laughs> nothing left to lose. And so Great. he takes all that and uh probably the it's he he shoots a missile into the road. I don't know. We don't really have to talk about that, but that happens. There's like a grenade launcher or something. Oh, I some, forgot that was a pretty funny scene. <laughs> some kid on a bicycle has to show him how to use it. <laughs> you know, like some just some kids like, What movie are you making? And he's like, Oh, just but anyway, the golf course scene. He's so he's just walk his whole deal oh, is yeah, he's yeah. just he's just walking around and he keeps saying to everyone, I'm just trying to get home. And that's kind of one of the taglines of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just a man who's had enough, who's just trying to get home. So I'm thinking it's gonna have this Clint Eastwood style, you know, mm-hmm. get off my lawn kind of thing, which it does, but I think that's the dirty part of the film is it pushes it to like, hey, here's what this can amount to, you know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I felt like that's what this, uh, and of course I keep saying it because at the end we're going to have this big scene where we get to the boardwalk, both these characters meet Robert Duvall as the detective and Michael Douglas as the lunatic and the family, his wife and his daughter at the end of this boardwalk. So he goes down there, he's got, I think one gun left. I think he's only got the one gun now. And he shot another cop in his house before he took off. So he's... It's You're all not over. supposed to do that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he goes off to the end of the boardwalk. He finds his his wife and his daughter, and of course she's terrified. He's got. He's like, "Oh no, it's fine." And he he's. I can't remember if she sees the gun or if he's actually got it in his hand yet. Oh yeah, but he he's got it out when he's talking to him and stuff. And it's uh, it's definitely like 
something the camera keeps cutting to to let you know that the gun is there. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, it's coloring the interactions a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. As as it would, I guess, mm-hmm. when your ex-husband shows up with a gun. Uh, That's where your focus is. Yeah. Yeah. And he and uh, so Robert Duvall, they do this cool thing where it shows what his power was. And maybe it's just able to observe this from. <clears throat> excuse me, from being on this side of the fence before, but like he's, he's a talker. You you see where his strength is as a police officer. And it's the fact that he's able to relate to the people that he's there with. He's not just like, all right, scumbag, get on your fucking, you know, uh, belly or whatever, you know, or I'll, you know, making, he had like like one of the smoothest moves I've seen in a movie. I loved it when he was just walking by and he flashed his gun to the wife real quick. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just calling it Jack and Mac. I was like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Hella slick, man. Smooth dude. (laughs) But it was super cheesy when, um, uh, you know the so the guy Michael Douglas's character doesn't have a name in this film. I don't know if you noticed, but in the credits, it just marks him as his license plate defense. Yeah. yeah. So it he doesn't have a name, but anyway, when he's over there and it's getting tense, because like you said, you pretty much know he's about to kill his family, and you know yeah. it's going to be a whole murder suicide kind of thing, whatever. And um, so it's getting real tense, and all of a sudden, camera flashes over. It's uh, Robert Duvall's character, and he's just like leaned up, like one shoulder on the counter, eating popcorn. Like, how's it going? <laughs> you know, like very spaghetti western. You know, like it brim is the, a little brim, bit. Brim yeah, the hat yeah, down, yeah. like you know, where are you going with that pistol, cowboy? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a showdown, but Michael Douglas doesn't even know it's a showdown yet. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And uh, so he goes into a conversational tone where he just starts talking to the guy and talking to the kids. He gives the little girl some popcorn. I-, I think maybe knowing that, and we're about to spoil the shit out of the movie, which you know if you listen to this podcast anyway. So uh, the the daughter hands hint the Michael Douglas's uh, character the popcorn. So he sets the gun down to take the popcorn. And that's when he loses all control. The wife kicks the gun away. The detective pulls out his gun. He's like, it's over. It's over. Like he doesn't, you know, he knows this dude's fucked up. He doesn't want to just kill the guy. And I think there was an earlier scene where he was talking to that old woman and was relatable to her to kind of get what he wanted. And uh, that's what he's trying to do to him. He's like, hey, man, and this is where the axis of the whole movie, you know, uh, Michael Douglas realizes. And we had talked about this uh, before we started recording where Duvall's telling him like, hey, you're the or no, I guess uh, Michael Douglas, he just says, wait a minute, am I the bad guy? And <laughs> Without missing a beat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's, yep. You are. You are the bad guy. And uh, what's funny is he points out to him that we all, he's like, we all know what you were here to do. You were here to murder your family. And then it'd be easy because then you'd have nothing left to just go ahead and kill yourself. And honestly, I didn't even think about the whole murder suicide thing. And uh, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, you know, I figured it was going to get violent. He was probably going to kill his wife or something like that. But then I really takes like, the whole like power to the people angle out of it. Yeah. He's just trying to kill Wipes it clean right there. Yeah. A like little, you a said. little kid and <laughs> his wife. Yeah. Yeah. There's no more hero worship, anti hero. Like, oh, he's just like us. He's just, you know, fighting the good fight. Like all that shit is if there was even an inkling of that in your brain, like it's all like, oh, you fuck. He's fucking a murderer. <laughs> like he's yeah. just whacked out of his mind. And it's uh, whether it was, you know, uh, society itself or whatever. I think it's it's his own mental health issues that were just compounded by his inability to deal with those everyday little stressors. I fucking love Duvall's little like monologue there. 
kind of their back and forth where like you know michael douglas is going off about like he's trying to justify it all being like they lied to me i did everything right and stuff and like Duvall's just like they lied to you well they lied to all of us they lied to the fishes what makes yeah. you so special like yeah. fuck off dude <laughs> yeah i mean just smashes his whole like all of his fervor through the whole movie and just right there it's like <laughs> You're kind of yeah. being a bitch. You're kind of being a little bitch about this right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're we're all just figuring it out too. Like we're doing fine. You're you're the one trying to kill your family on a dock right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I and, just uh, wanted skin on my chicken. That's all yeah, I wanted. <laughs> that's all I wanted. Skin. I just wanted juicy chicken. I didn't want it dry. You don't see me <laughs> shooting the place up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every it's all good. Um, I do like when uh. Duval punches the asshole at work. This is yeah. Well, well first this. he kills. He, he does. He kills Michael Douglas though. We oh, that's say. after. Okay, I don't know. Oh well, yeah, know. no, no, because yeah, he, uh, they he pull they they do the shootout. Michael Douglas pulls out a gun, but it's a squirt gun that was uh Chekhov gunned earlier. He's popped out. Then uh, oh you know, wait, du- and let's let's talk about the squirt. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always there's so Michael Douglas pretty much when the kids and everyone gets away and he doesn't have his gun anymore. Robert Duvall, he's got him at gunpoint. And he's like, hey, dude, it's over. You know, just give it up. And then that's when Michael Douglas just like, nah, you know what? Why don't we just have a standoff? And yeah. he's like, oh, man, you don't have to fucking do this, whatever. And he starts counting down, pretty much letting him know, like, yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to we're, I'm dead anyway. We'll give my daughter the insurance. At least I can live her that uh, leave her that. And we'll do that. So he, he does the countdown. He gets down to one and he goes to pull the gun because he, he's like, I got a gun in my pocket. I got lots of guns. So <laughs> the cop is assuming that he does have he's like, fuck, this guy's going to kill me at the, at one, you know, three, two, one. And so he pulls out the gun and they shoot each other. And that's when you see Michael Douglas has a a blue clear, you know, like little cheap, uh, squirt gun. And it zooms in on his face because he gets shot like dead center of the chest and falls backwards over the pier into the water. But right before he falls, there's a hilarious little like screenshot, like it zooms in on his face and the pistol is like up next to his head and he gives it a little squirt. And it's the dumbest yeah, shit. That. He just like zooms in on his face, holds for six just a second. He looks at the camera and just squirt and then falls backwards over the edge. And I was like, dude, we know it's a water gun. Like that's what you hired Schumacher for, man. That's that that's Schumacher right. Riz. It's like <laughs> Michael, right, yeah. Michael, give me another one where you squirt the gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michael Douglas is like, uh, sir, I don't really think I, I don't think my character would do it. He's like, squirt the fucking gun. Yeah. <laughs> who's your fucking boss right now? Yeah, who's yeah. You're gonna squirt <laughs> on camera and you're gonna do it in front of all of us. Now do it. <laughs> yes, but sir. yeah, it goes up into a little suicide by cop, you know, classic way yep. to go. Classic uh anti society type, you know, when you've said fuck it to everything, um, and you can't get someone to kill you, you know, because all the other people that tried couldn't do it the gangsters and all these other people that he got into situations with, uh, which they weren't people who were trying to kill him, but he got into, you know, violent tense situations. I mean, even like, cause he's cussing everybody. Oh yeah. You, know, yeah. you just never really cross, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, people are being rude, but he pushes it to the level of violence. And it's funny because that's where him saying, I'm that guy. Yeah, dude, you're that guy. Everyone else was just being a dick. You could have just been a dick back. But you pushed it to that level. You are that asshole who, like, someone wrongs you. And you're like, oh, yeah, fuck you. You want to fight about it? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. dude, you're that guy. You've turned into that. And so. Um, I think but, you were right, though. And I was I was thinking of a different scene. The one where he punches the coworker into the cake. That was before. 
because yeah that's part of Duvall's arc is you know he's he's taking charge of his own life and there's like people who talk shit about his wife and stuff and it's clear like even though he has you know some beef with his wife and stuff that he does truly love her like yes. that's kind of a thing throughout the movie that he really really does love his wife um and people are talking shit and he was like, no, nah, I'm not taking this shit anymore. And he punches the dude out. And this yeah. kind of continues into the last scene of the movie where like earlier his boss was telling him like he doesn't like him because he doesn't curse either. Oh, and, that's right. Yeah. And that but was he... one of my that was my favorite payoff of the movie was when his boss is trying to bring him into the um, on camera. After oh, the... my God. I didn't even. fuck. And... Oh, dude, I didn't. Even... I know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And uh <laughs> He was like bringing him on camera, and then Robert Duvall was like, "Yeah, fuck you, fuck you very much." On yeah, camera. and yep. then just walks off. Yeah, sick. Oh, I didn't even put. I for, totally forgot about that. About his boss being like, you know, twelve years or however many years. I've never heard no shit, no damn, no fuck. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't trust a man that doesn't cuss or curse. And then yeah, at the end, just fucking fuckity fuck fuck. I was like, oh god, I can't believe I missed that. But, yeah, so such a cool moment too. I love that's such a good payoff. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, it's not a, it's weird because you can't say it's a happy movie, but it's not a. It, it doesn't. I mean, I didn't feel like shit after watching it either. I mean, you know, it's. I really liked it, but I I yeah. do think by the end of it, like you kind of realize Duvall's the protagonist center, even if you didn't realize it at the beginning. Yeah, you know, he's more of the character you're supposed to identify with, and he's the one that whose story I felt, you know, compelled to and empathetic with. Um, whereas Michael Douglas, I was definitely felt as more like an antagonist throughout yeah. the film, even though initially he was positioned as the protagonist. Yeah. And it, it's weird too. Cause it's, it's good. It has all these things, but then it has these moments of just super cheesiness to where I'm like, is this guy this smart or are we just, diving too deep into what he's putting in front of us you know because like as Maybe. soon as those first couple of scenes and the one guy's like uh yeah it's my last day on the job i'm like oh for fuck's sake you know classic okay, yeah. classic trope yeah cliche even yeah but yeah uh let's see the i think we already talked about the scenes that i wanted to point out uh, but that's 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 the movie so definitely check it out even though we've given away the, the whole thing, it is a cool movie to watch and, you know, kind of get your own ideas about it and, and what you think and how different things are from 93 to now 2023 and how this film aged. I think there's still a lot of, it still has a lot of significance even today because it, it is still just daily interactions with everyday people of, mm -hmm. you know, um, just that give and take that capitalist society, you know, that product consumer kind of thing. And I think he even says that in the movie. He's like, I'm a consumer. You know, I have consumer. <laughs> he's like, I have consumer rights. I'm like, yeah, you can buy it or not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. You want to pay 85 cents or you don't like it's, he it's has buyer. Store. He has like yeah. seller rights too. Yeah. Like, that's you can right. Sell it for whatever he wants. <laughs> I have property rights, seller rights. You know, I fucking, I pay for all this. It's like only his rights matter throughout the movie and everybody yeah. else is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, and then at the very, so the movie should have ended after the, the squirt scene, I think it should have just been done clap. Everyone's cool. It's all ended. But then he goes to the house and he has to have like a quick scene with the mom and he sits down and talks to the little girl. Oh, and Duvall's character, they lost their daughter who yeah. she was young and she died of, I guess, uh, the, of SIDS or whatever, but they're yeah. like, they call it infant death, but she wasn't an infant. So that's a lot of where the, 
another parallel with them is he lost his daughter in, you know, in, her life was lost. And then the other guy's character lost his daughter because he was a drunk, abusive oh, uh, yeah. wacko. So they both kind of had that. So like you said, it is kind of the same, you know, they're not the same person, but they're, they're definitely, uh, yeah, they kind of mirror, mirror each other in some ways. And it's interesting. And yeah. that also that last scene is kind of where we learn that he wants to keep being a cop and he's going to stand up for himself. Cause it sounds like it kind of sounded out like through the film that this was kind of a uh, he he was hesitant towards his retirement. He wasn't necessarily like excited about it, uh, but yeah. he kind of decided at the end, this is what he wants to do. Yeah, he wants to kill people. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once he got a taste for blood, he was like, maybe this job's not so bad. You know, this dude's like the shark from Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's. Oh, so that's what I was going to say at the end. The kid's birthday scene. I thought that was, I know, and I think that's what kind of pushed it over like the hour and a half mark was he goes back to the parent, uh, the mom and the the little girl sits down with the little girl and he's talking to her and he's doing his whole conversational thing where he's like being Mr. Cool and just like being relatable and all this kind of stuff that, you know, is, I don't know, just trying to help the kid with the trauma that's going on. And she's like, uh, she's like, what's your name? And he's like, my name is mud. And I was like, my (laughs) name is mud. All I could think of was a promise song, and I was like, "Is that where that's fucking from, or is my name is Mud an old expression that I just don't know about?" I was like, "Cause I, oh, that's a good question. I have no idea. Cool if it came from that movie, it seems like some prime shit. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, little fun fact there. That's probably not a fun fact. It's just a odd coincidence. But then it ends with all these kids standing at the front of her fence with gifts, and they're all dressed like in their, you know, they're all. It's all. It's a very colorful scene. There's a white picket mm-hmm. fence at the edge of the yard and all these kids standing outside of it with gifts. And I was trying to visualize like, what is this saying? Like, what is this scene trying to say? Because you could have had the film without it. So what was he trying to say? They're all waiting out. And she's like, Oh my God, it's her birthday today. And I don't know if he's just trying to remind the audience now that that dude is dead, that he died on his daughter's birthday. He never made it home, whatever, whatever. But (laughs) the cops just like do it tomorrow. And then it's just like end of movie. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why was this? Why was this our end? Why did you shit? You had a good ending. You had this very Greek tragedy kind of fucking thing going on. And then this weird scene at the end. So, yeah, I don't know if that meant anything to you, like with the kids and the gifts and all that. Or I mean, not really. To to be honest, I almost feel like I blocked it out. I didn't even remember until you Mm -hmm. said anything. I just remember him kind of talking to her on the porch and stuff. And I was thinking, like, that was kind of just the arc of him, like, you know, making this connection with a child again, you know, yeah. after losing his or something. But I, I, I didn't dig that much into it. You know, I think by that time I was, I mean, the movie was wrapping up. Who knows? Maybe I was taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up there with that's falling down because uh, I've had you on here for a little while already. And I want to talk about your, uh, the book that's out, but also the story in House from the Wreckage. I managed to get into both of those before this because I definitely wanted to talk to you about them and just kind of, you know, pick your brain about that and also talk about Post Haste Manor a little bit. Uh, when is it actually coming? When's the October 18th? Yes, October 18th, Post Haste Manor. Would you like to give us a little intro about well, what it is, who all's involved, what we can expect? And then I'll talk a little bit about the part that I read and you can. Yeah, sure. So um, Post Haste Manor coming out from Tenebris Press. 
is a co-written mosaic novel. Um, I wrote it with Jolie Tumajan. Um, we pretty much wrote it just half and half. Um, but like uh, some chapters, you know, we switch back and forth. One of the part of it's almost like one long story. The other is like almost a bunch of short stories or like snapshots. But it's all basically about the rise and fall of one very haunted house told through different time periods, different characters, um, and they all cross over and intermingle a little bit. Yeah, and I love how it's uh, where it switches back and forth like that. At first, for me, I was like, oh, wait, because it took me, uh, you know, a couple of the paragraphs to figure out what exactly was going on. But then once I got into it, I was like, oh, this is really cool because you don't at no point. I I don't know. It it makes for good drive through the story, if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense. So like for me, as I was reading through, I'm like, oh, shit, because you start to get a little more uh, view of what's going on in one side and then it'll flip back to the other one. So you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot. This is where we left off with this one. And so I don't know how those arcs go. I don't know if they intertwine or anything like that. And and you don't have to tell me, but I do love where the story is going. I only got into the first part. So like you said, there's uh main chapters, sub chapters, things like that. And the intro part of the book, which is it's the first part, but it's not called chapter one. So I made it, to chapter one, but where it's pretty much to me, looks like it's given you the setup for these characters and you know, how they ended up in the house. And, but you also are getting some teasers about what goes on in this house and the type of people that get into this house and why they're there. And from day one, them being there, you know, the kind of stuff that starts to happen to them. So I'm like, Oh shit. So it's really interesting. It's got a great intro, uh, grabby, you know, grab your intro. So Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, you know checking it out and shit. It's uh, it was really fun to write. It was one of those projects. Jolie and I, you know, she's just another writer, kind of in my circle. She was she just got a publication at one point at a really higher tier horror magazine called uh, Black Static, which is no longer around now. They just I think they just published their last issue not too long ago. And I was wrapping up my uh, work with the Bloodline uh, anthology I was doing, which was kind of like a self-published collection uh, anthology, rather. And I was just like, you know what? I want to do another kind of just fun bullshit project. So I reached out to Jolie and I was like, hey, I want to work with you. I think you're cool. Let's let's do something. Yeah. And we thought like, hey, let's do like a chat book of like, you know, short stories set in a haunted house and we're like yeah let's do that and so then we you, did it oh go ahead i was gonna say so when you say short stories about things that happen in the house is it going to continue with the two characters that have been introduced to so far or is it going to jump to maybe other stories of different families and their experience in the house as it goes through or is this going to kind of carry those two characters and different experiences and events of them uh in that in the manner so um the way it's structured is there's a section one and a section two of the book. And section one is called, I believe, uh, this house is a furious body. And that, that section acts kind of as one story between those two characters, the Otho, Otho and Adira character. And that it's almost like a novella itself. Um, Mm -hmm. When we finished writing our initial short stories with different characters for each one, and that's the second half of the book, we sent it to Tenebris Press because we were like, well, why the fuck not? We have, you know, we have all these short stories together. You know, they all they're kind of linked. Let's see what they say. And they're like, this is really dope and we'd love to publish it. 
but could you write maybe like a novella for it too? Something, you know, to kind of add some meat to it. And yeah. we were like, okay, cool. So that's that first part, that section you started to read, that's kind of that novella we came up with. And then the kind of the second half of the book kind of hops around to different periods of the house and are more like self-contained stories as chapters. Okay, Together, cool. though, we, we market it as a mosaic novel where you kind of get the sense of this house through its history with a couple of larger stories and then a lot of like different snapshots and shit. So it's a weird structure. It's probably not going to be for everyone, but um, it's, it's pretty wild. It's fun. Like, I think it's, yeah, def- I... it's definitely going to have its audience for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that that different kind of style, if you, you know, like I said, even me, just when I first started reading, I was like, oh, okay, take me just a second to kind of feel what's get mm-hmm. a feel for what's going on here. But as you just kind of settle into it, you know, it makes total sense. And it is a lot of fun that it is different. You know, it's cool for me as a reader to have something like that, that is just, you know, a different format than just straightforward. Like here's the story. It starts here. Here's the end, that kind of stuff. So, cause it makes you interested to see what's going to happen next, you know? It's not like, okay, here's my main characters. Here's something bad's (laughs) going to happen. The house is doing something weird. I don't know. There's some screaming from somewhere like, and then like, that's going to be in it. You know, it, it keeps you on your toes. So we're not like, Oh, this is just a haunted house book or is it, this is a ghost story book or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it and find out more and I'll talk more about the book, uh, on the show and, um, you know, get into it after I complete the book. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. If people like your style of writing, will they also like Jolie Tumajan style of writing? Do you guys kind of share that, you know, weird fiction kind of uh, uh, vibe or does she have, you know, does she get into realms of things that maybe are a little bit different than you or you guys, you know, work well together? You know, we, we actually write very differently. I would say um, she has a lot more, um influence from like more kind of lush gothic writing she's also i would say more she's she's very very smart very educated um she's like just finishing up her phd right now and um she has a lot more like decidedly postmodern flair she does a lot of interesting uh with structure in her stories i think we kind of complement each other we have a we're we write differently but we approach the themes in kind of different ways that also intersect that i think it's going to be really fun so i would say um jolie does not really write like me and i don't write like her but the book is better for it because we really wanted to kind of leverage the um the individual voices that we're bringing because to me if we're going to co-write something like we shouldn't be aiming to write a book where we kind of polish out everything interesting about each other's voices. Sure. Yeah. You like, know, it's, the, it's yeah. Ha- having two authors, you don't want it to be one note. That's the whole point. Yeah. We want to play to our strengths and kind of leverage this interesting format of two art, two artists collaborating. So that was kind of why the structure of the book was chosen because we wanted both of us to be able to shine doing our own thing and then kind of have the overall product be a reflection of us both. Yeah. And because I, I know, and I've said this before, like a Carson Winter story feels very much like a Carson Winter story. And so for me, uh, when I was reading just that first, the section one part, and I was trying to like read through the two, and I was like, oh, I wonder how this is. And it's separated to look like two different 
you know, to me, I just assume that once you mm-hmm. had the paragraph separated, like, okay, this is one author. And then the next one would be the second author or whatever. But I don't know if it says that explicitly in the book, if it, if it does let me know, but if not, I think it's an interesting thing to read too, and try to see like, oh, okay, who's writing <laughs> what, like, can I t- like, oh, is, is this Carson side or is this, not? and uh, it doesn't take away, but it's just fun to see how it, you know, plays with the styles and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no. And that's uh, something we kind of decided to do when, uh, because originally, so for the for the novella half of it, the longer story, uh, this house is a furious body. You know, there's there's the two perspective characters, Otho and Adira, and you know, spoilers. Jolie writes the Adira. Uh, no, don't line. say it. <laughs> We're and cutting I, that out. <laughs> and I write, write Otho, but the second half of the book, the the chapters are more like individual short stories. And we took away um, the credit for each story so that people could just read them. And, yeah. you know, they they can decide who wrote it. We do have it. We do have like the attributions in the very back. But I'll be interested to see once you get to that section, you start pouring through those uh, guessing which one is which. Yeah, because I couldn't tell from the first part. I mean, I really. Oh, very cool. You know, other other than just now that you say kind of how the styles are different, I guess I could definitely see that. But it's just the first setup, you know, kind of stuff that was going on. I really couldn't tell much of a. Of course, I don't look a whole lot at just being your average reader or whatever, at mechanics and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of a of a feel kind of guy, I guess, you know, it's yeah. like as I'm reading it, like how it feels, how it makes me feel, what I think they're trying to tell me or they want me to think, you know, I, I, I'm more of an experienced person. I read a book. I want an experience. I don't know if that sounds lame or not, <laughs> you know, entertain me, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, so for sure, the mechanics part of it, I don't really you know, if someone had more or less commas or or, or you know, <laughs> word structure or whatever like that, that was better or worse. Um, that's not something that was uh, glaringly obvious to me in that first part anyway. So, but yeah, yeah, it's su- super excited to get into it. Love the cover too. The cover is cool. I don't get it oh, yeah. yet. I feel like Trevor Henderson. Yeah. I, I mean, it looks cool and it's got just the right amount of like mystery and creep to it and i'm like is that the house is it a cat is it a cat house is the house a cat like what the fuck is that thing is it a hairless cat or am i gonna read later it'll be like the deformed emaciated corpse of some weird ghoul i don't know but i'm glad that the cover gives me all those emotions at once so i can honestly yeah <laughs> you, you'll figure it out you'll figure it okay. out okay okay good yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if it, watch it be something super simple it's like some girl had a guinea pig that died and it's under the floorboard and that's why the house is haunted. Like, you spoiled it. That's I know. What you fact, wrote, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You told me you not the to greatest minds and weird dark fiction. That's and that's right. what we came up with. Yeah. <laughs> you told me not to tell. I couldn't help it. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Just bleep that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cut, cut it. Um, but yeah. So, uh, are you guys doing, pre-orders or where can they get it or any of the i know tenebris usually does a kind of a package thing where you can get stuff or it, mm-hmm. for sure definitely pre-orders and stuff so yep did... pre-orders are up now on tenebris uh press um there's actually like i think three different versions there's like a soft cover this one's actually coming out in hardcover too which i think is really cool and then there's the deluxe rats and dogs edition which is actually kind yeah. of that uh hint at what the cover is um yeah. uh and it comes with like a really sick t-shirt i think some art prints and other stuff and a book of course um so yeah 
everyone should check that out. Um, the Tenebris always does like a great job putting together really cool packages, and uh, I, I'm excited for people to check out this book. It's gonna be it's a great Halloween read. It's very fun. It's very spooky. It is very weird, but you know what? Just just go with it. Just go with it. Just go with it. Get weird. Tis yeah, the season. Exactly. You know something else that I noticed at my job too, and I thought this would be so uh weird just thinking about weird things and, and weird fiction and stuff like that but so at work i don't know if i've said where, where i've worked before but i work at a place of mass transit so i see hundreds maybe thousands of people every day and i'm convinced that there are only and this goes across different countries and everything else because it's not a it's not a international place of travel but there are lots of people and sometimes you know there's it from all over the u.s and beyond I'm convinced there's only like maybe 23 different types of people in the entire world. And every everybody's just like <laughs> different combinations of those people. And that could be, you know, uh, race or ethnicity, gender, whatever it is. But I swear it's like something out of the twilight zone. Like I'll look up and I'll be like, I swear I just saw this motherfucker yesterday, but he was two feet shorter and he had <laughs> black hair instead of gray hair, you know, and, and, uh, and he was a woman, you know, like, it's all like, it's just, it's so funny how like the facial features and seeing so many people every, this has nothing to do with anything. I don't know what brought it up. I think just the weird fiction thing, just, uh, that's since, a story, man. That's a story. Yeah, that's in there. a story. Right. Yeah. I don't know what you could do with it, but I definitely thought about it. And, um, I don't know what I would do if I tried to write something like that anyway. Um, and you know, which leads me to your most recent story in how not your most recent, but in house from the wreckage, uh, I did read your story in there. The, uh, oh, awesome. The, yeah, the children of the event. I just finished it up two two nights ago. And oh, badass! Okay, yeah. So I've been cracking into that book a little bit. I'm the the to be read list is gigantic, but that's why I'm I like sure. these because they're shorter stories, and I can just dive into ones that either <laughs> have been suggested to me by you know your show, your guys' dead languages podcast, and and just other people that you've had on the show. So I'll I'll go into their stories first, which again is part of the media machine. You know that's how. So if anyone doesn't think this stuff works, it does. You hear that author, and then you know I bought books just because um, you and Plim are in them. So you know, and that's based on reading. I'm gonna your, start trolling you guys. I'm I'm gonna start trolling you, man. I'm gonna start like recommending the worst books you've ever heard of <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. Look, yeah, and Plim and I just after we're gonna be like ha. That's we right. Yeah. Like, Fuck James do, here up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'll do a 45 minute show about how awesome the shittiest book you ever read was. I'll be like, oh my God. So, Carson, you guys aren't going to believe this. It was so good. Or I'll just be totally, I'll be like, I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Like, he's usually got good picks. This one, it it, it was uh, extremely homoerotic. There was a lot of uh, blood involved and apple juice. I don't know. Just like some random weird yeah. shit. But, uh, but yeah. So, uh, the children of the event. Did you? Is that something that you wrote? I, obviously, House from the Wreckage is a collection of disaster uh, fiction. I, I don't yeah. know what all the rules were for it, other than just to say it was disaster uh, fiction. So, when you wrote that story, was it specifically for this, or like, hey, or did you have something kind of already like on your mind or whatever? Like, I, I guess what was your inspiration i know it was uh, the whole kaiju thing but like what was your inspiration for all that yeah so i uh which i will acknowledge is the most generic question ever what was your inspiration but i'll talk more <laughs> about it once you i just want to know where your head was at when you put it out and sure. then i'll go into it 
So yeah, I um basically what happened was when I saw the call and I decided I wanted to do it. Um, I kind of search through my backlog of ideas and stuff. Like sometimes I I I have like a story that I started writing, but it didn't go anywhere. I had a random idea that I thought was cool, but it just didn't get off the ground. So in this case, I was thinking about disasters, kind of what I wanted to say about them. And then I was starting to look kind of at some ideas I played with before um, and kind of just see if I had anything that I could fit to this. I didn't have any completed story. I maybe had like, you know, 700 words, if that. Um, that was about a monster swallowing people up and throwing them throwing them up. That's all I had. I knew I wanted yeah. to do some kind of story about a kaiju because I'm a huge fan of the Godzilla movies, the classic Godzilla movies. That's, that was yeah. my shit as a kid. Um, so I knew I wanted to do kaiju because that's what I associate with disasters. But also I wanted to do something that was not typical of the genre. I wanted to go a little bit of a different route. So I decided I didn't really want the story to be about a kaiju attack, but be mm -hmm. more about the aftermath of it. Yeah. And kind of one of the ideas I was really playing with at that time was thinking a lot about was um, the idea of progress kind of outpacing you as an individual and like you know you can be you know the most progressive per person as you can be in your 20s and or 30s but eventually you're going to be 75 80 and you know are are you just going to be a racist of the future in ways you didn't understand now like you know yeah fucking getting mad at your kid for fucking <laughs> being plugged in purple hair <laughs> the ai Something. meta space and fucking aliens or whatever yeah you're like back in my day we used to we didn't spend 20 in the ai meta space fuckings but back, yeah. but in the future that's what everyone does and they were just being like god you're so out of touch and meta space phobic dad mm -hmm. so that was kind of what i was thinking i was thinking like in the story and that's kind of where the story went is that i wanted to capture that kind of discomfort with watching other people around you become better become more evolved um kinder smarter and feeling like you're being outpaced and that the future is scary yeah well and and being scared of something like that where so i i noticed as i was reading through this story kind of the themes that i've noticed in your other stories and just just kind of comparing things that are in there a lot. And I, I actually wrote some down. So I don't know if these are things you think of often, but the like a mass or group fear or hysteria. And yep. it's by what can't be seen by something that is tangible. So you can see the person and you just like in this story, you can see the people. They know what people are. They can see what they're doing. So where does the fear come from? It's generated from the the thoughts of the person that is viewing that individual and so i noticed yeah. that and also that and some of your the other stuff that i've read of yours that's writing so um is that something that's just like super that that you think about a lot or just i don't know it's just on your mind when you write is that something that um you know some people write from like things that have happened to them in the past or is that something that you you dive into with fear as far as being a horror author you know is that something that maybe scares the shit out of you or something that you try to understand, you know, in the world around you, that kind of stuff. Is that kind of where you dig? Yeah. I mean, I think it is a big part of kind of my writing stuff as far as like, you know, um, 
how people behave in groups and stuff on a large mm. scale. Uh, Matt Blairstone from Tenebris actually said that a lot of my stuff seems to be kind of like um, social horror. Like it's mm-hmm. it's about people as social groups on a wide scale and everything. And I think that does really interest me and stuff because I do think um, we are uh, greater than just the individual and in that, uh, you know, individual action alone isn't necessarily just scary but uh trends are as well the stuff we all do together unknowingly the things we all enact as part of our environment are scary too so yeah i think that that does like show up a lot in my writing i do think about a lot of a lot about that stuff and also probably comes because you know my day job i'm a marketer so i think a lot about why people like things why people do the things they do in groups to try to drive drive towards an outcome yeah that's a good point i've never really put that those two things together but with your background and what you've you know studied a lot and what's been on your brain a lot and how that would influence but yeah that makes perfect sense because the the second thing i was going to say that you use media a lot so yeah. you'll use, you know, and I mean that by actual, you know, like television media, like newscasters or something like that, mm-hmm. or the paper, whatever it is, that is a part of this hysteria and how it's it's marketing fear in a way that, you know, goes out to, you know, whatever the group is, whatever the larger group is, you know, and they're, you know, scared of whatever is happening. And it's just further inflamed by media, which I think is pretty obvious. You know, we get that today. We are constantly I think most people. I don't know if anyone ever takes the time to just be quiet anymore. You know what I mean? You're always (laughs) listening to, you know, I can listen to the same 10 albums I listened to in middle school, you know, or this, the the same book of CDs that I listened to in fucking high school. You know I mean? I I can listen to that shit constantly. Just look it up. There it is. Movies. There it is. Podcasts. And I feel like we're constantly being inundated with that. And, uh, so yeah, it's super. It's it, the tool. It's it's terrifying that that tool can be turned and used for this mass hysteria, fear type stuff. But with your background in marketing, that makes perfect sense why you're able to do that so well. That it's not um, it, it's not overpower. It's a tool in the story. It's not overpowering in any of your stories. If, mm-hmm. if, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not a it's not the main focal point or anything like that. But you just you use it in a way that seems so. I, I guess seamless to drive the story. Uh, forward especially in this one i noticed because uh well i won't i won't give away too much of the story but there is a separate group of people and just how that all started and set up because it was just such an interesting twist and that's what i like about a lot of your other writings too is it even though it sort of comes out of nowhere the build-up and this is what i mean by the media and all that kind of stuff the build-up for it makes sense when it happens so it's it's really cool the way you're you're able to do that. And that's what I mean by it's not gimmicky or anything like that. It just, it has a real natural flow and progression to it. So then when it happens, you're, you're already knee deep in it, just like the characters in the story. So I thought that was cool. I know I get on here and just, uh, you know, I'm on your dick, but like, Oh, please. You know, it's yeah. just good. It's just Somebody's got to be man. So it's just good stuff. So yeah, I know I'm on here just keeping skin on your chicken, but it's, uh, <laughs> I just enjoyed it. Just really... I'm gonna use that on my wife. I'm gonna tell yeah. her that <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna love yeah. it. I bet. Yeah, I'm gonna, no, oh, yeah. I'm gonna tell her to suck the chin, the suck the, the skin off, skin my, off chicken. my chicken. <laughs> yeah, I figured that's where that was going. She's gonna love that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's how you get girls, right? Yeah, <laughs> we would know. 
Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> We're on a We're podcast. We're on a podcast. Know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those things, um, other notes I wrote on here, and I don't know if this is all of them, but just different. Uh, I was thinking too about the, oh, I can't remember the story. There's the last one that we had talked about that was in, uh, the cover had the big like devil head on the front and it was the one about the killer and the, the person was at a restaurant and they would scream. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, canonical victims. Canonical victims, yeah. And same thing with that. It had an element of where it was talking about, like, in the news, this person, you know, it said it was yeah. this person, and this was a... And so, yeah, it's just... It's cool the way that, because of your background, you're able to use that. But also, I put alternate dimensions and planes of existence in here, but I don't know if that really shows up in that story. Definitely in Guts of Myth, in, in yeah, Split I mean, Scream. yeah. And uh, soft targets, you could say, and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. and also in a story called "The Mushroom Men" that I did, um, that's in Vastarian, and I think I also played with that a little bit in uh, my story that was on No Sleep, the Museum of Fucking Something or Other. I can't even remember my own title. <laughs> Your own title, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think like alternate dimensions, planes of existence. Um, kind of the the idea that there could be a different version of what we're living now, um, encroaching on the version we're living now, um, kind of fascinates me. Or the interchangeability of reality without us being able to know that kind of. I think one of the creepiest things you can think about is just the sense that something is slightly wrong with something you know. Mm-hmm. but not being able to place your finger on it. And I think that's kind of, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about reality because of that. Cause I think reality, the distortion of reality, I think is a really fundamental um, source of fear for a lot of us that we don't necessarily acknowledge. Oh yeah, for sure. That's even I'm, earlier. You made mention of the, the matrix and its influence and that kind of stuff, which is a, an easy parallel to use with a lot of the interdimensional stuff and like what is reality and what is time and all this kind of stuff. Or what, what was that other inception was a great movie that just kind of mm-hmm. bended the concept of reality. And I'll never forget the scene in that one where the guy wakes up and he's like, it's been like 10 minutes, but the guy's like, I've been here for a thousand years or something like just yeah. stuff like that. You can feel the interfibes of your being just being like, that's terrifying, you know? And uh, so, yeah, that that's, uh, it would, you know, that's why I always think it'd be funny, you know, you're going to die one day and then you're going to wake up just in some pod at a mall and you're going to be 15. Like, whoa, that was nuts, dude. Like it costs like a dollar fifty of alien. Man, that would be a to, trip. Yeah. Would man. that not be like you wake up and you're just like there with all your like alien homies and you're just like, you know, <laughs> which which experience you know, like 3D rides that you can get into uh-huh. that simulate and give you the same like uh, sweaty palms and everything. Then you just went into some pod like and you're you're some weird alien you know creature and you're just like oh i, p- I picked earth bro i picked that earth experience you're like oh no way you're fucked up and like what'd you do it's like i went with a uh, fucking author or whatever it's like and one guy's <laughs> like oh i did the mass shooter option like another, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like just fucked up you know because that's a story that, man is that not what people do in the sims it's the same thing or yeah or um uh what's the one where you can drive around and like steal cars and shoot people and shit gta like, gta you know everyone lives out those same fantasies there so it is not that far of a stretch to believe that 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 same thing could happen, you know? So uh, there was another movie called gamer that was 
I think that I was never saw of... that one, but I, I've heard up, of it, dude. Yeah, it is fucked up. And I don't remember if maybe I was just hammered when I watched it or something, but there's a scene in it where basically they take people that are on death row and they make them as controllable characters in a game. And mm-hmm. it's like a Call of Duty game. So some of them are the fighters and depending on where you're at on the likability list or whatever it is, there's some people that are just uh, like John Leguizamo, his character is a fighter one day and where he gets kicked down to the bottom of the list, he ends up being just the guy sweeping the road. And so in the game, just like in any other video game people play, they're like, fuck this guy and they run him over and it's all just <laughs> part of the game, but they're actually killing this dude. And there's a scene where the one that impacted me the most is it's like Sims. Uh, the the game, you know, The Sims. And it shows a girl in rollerblades and basically for money, people will let them control them in this world for payment. And of course, people just like you would do on those kind of games, you screw with people and it shows some guy like, and of course they try to make him look as disgusting as possible. He's in like a dark room with, you know, three or four computer screens and he's like molded to his chair and he's got food like, (laughs) and he's, his character in the game is like this bimbo rollerblading hot chick and that's who and he's typing stuff to you know on there like oh you're sexy i want to see your dick or something weird and then uh he makes her fall and she breaks her ankle now to her it's real she's actually falling and breaking her ankle but it just shows her like he's doing like a laugh command so she's just laughing but like these tears of pain are running down her face and i was like dude this is so fucked up it's killing me it's cr- i mean that's fucking- that yeah dude brutal. And I'm like, is this the dude from 300 in this movie? <laughs> like, what am I watching? I don't know who directs it, but I'll, I'll have to look that up. But yeah, it's it's a good one to watch. It's It's got its parts that are pretty deep. And then the rest of the movie is kind of cheese. But uh, it's a cool one. But yeah. And uh, the last thing I wrote, transition through violence. I think that's kind of a, mm. a theme that I can see. And not so much. And that can be good or bad. Or it can be the transition into this mass hysteria or this transition into something else. It's not, it's not always a traditional transition as someone would think about it. It could be emotional. It could be physical, all these different things, but I noticed, and you know, that's the horror element. I don't know if that's something that you think about uh, when you write or whatever. I don't know if, I I don't know if you feel like you're under a fucking microscope right now. (laughs) You can just be like, James, um, I actually don't think of any of that shit. I have no idea where the (laughs) hell you got any of that. I, it's like, dude, I'm just, I just clock into the spooky story factory every day, man. That's just <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. I'm on the assembly line doing the hard work, putting the yeah, spooky stories together. That's right. Man. You're like, sometimes it's just people killing people, and that's okay. I just, I just punch a card. No, no, violence <laughs> Violence is absolutely kind of a, an important thing, something that I think about a lot. But it also functions in a story sense, is that it's a good way to um, raise stakes. And it's, it, it's a... Um, inevitable place to lead a story um, also where it you, it's kind of a payoff of some sorts so I think violence can function both as uh, like something to comment on but also something that just makes a story function and gives it somewhere to go yeah I can see that well I that that's all I got for today man I appreciate you coming on here and talking to me about falling down i'm glad i didn't realize you'd seen more schumacher than me so now i just kind of feel like a dick for making you watch this movie but <laughs> but I, being like oh you don't you don't know you don't know schumacher man you need to watch it's this like movie. no i've actually watched all of his movies yeah i watched all of his movies even his underground shit yeah <laughs> Noob, so i'm on the schumacher criterion collection shit <laughs> yeah
No, I'm glad you recommended me this because I actually really did like it. And that, the the fact that the character was so kind of evil essentially made me like it more because I thought it was just a much more daring movie than I thought it'd be. Yeah. And, and it kind of turned into this like creepy flick of this dude hunting down his family as kind of that, you know, that narrative turn happens. I thought I just thought it was really sick. So, yeah, I'm glad you recommended yeah. it to I, me and I'm glad I got to be able to talk about it. I, I definitely w think I should. I'm going to look up what other movies came out around that time to see how out of pocket maybe that movie might have been or what <laughs> what other things were going on at the time in 93. I can't really think, but but well, yeah, I'm like <clears throat> probably like Rodney King and OJ and stuff. That's what makes that's what I think of in early 90s. Yeah. I don't know the years. I can't hardly remember the 90s now. <laughs> I don't remember what the fuck was going on. Back when VH1 had the show that that's the 90s or whatever on all the time i could remember oh yeah, the 90s, yeah, yeah but then that was just like early 2000s so the 90s had just happened I'm like yeah i remember this i still have it in my fucking house how are we gonna know the 90s if vh1 doesn't tell us yeah bring back pop-up videos that's damn straight <laughs> I, I i need to be uh mindlessly entertained by that but i need lou diamond phillips here right now <laughs> to tell me what he remembers of the 90s yeah that's right yeah i need to see the nancy <laughs> kerrigan thing one more fucking time and to have the one, have the, wait, which one is the one that hit her? It doesn't matter because she's the one that's on TV, though. That's the funniest part. You know, it's like the worst day of her life, but she's, I'm sure, makes money just talking about it all the time. Hell so, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's the life. Yeah. That's the American dream right there. Soft targets out now. That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get your copy today. Yeah. But yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for coming on the show. Post Haste Manor. Uh, pre-copies are available now you can also get the bundle package get a sweet ass t-shirt if i get one i will definitely post it online for all to see and uh when does it do out again drops the october 18th 18th so go out get your copy it's gonna kick ass carson thanks again for coming on the show oh and we're doing a virtual event too there's gonna be a virtual um uh release event uh, coming up around that time. I don't know when because I'm bad okay. at this, but yeah, maybe I can send you a uh, link yeah. or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you send me a clip of it later with the event. I'll splice it in here. But yeah, so okay. look forward. Look forward to the uh, the live event uh, event that's coming up for that. And uh, yeah, Carson, thanks again. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. This has been the Just James Overview. I'm your host, Just James. Take care.